When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to None But the Brave, presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. And Flynn, we're going to get to our fantastic new archive, but we've also got a really big guest tonight. Yes, we do. Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports and The Athletic. is He's joining us to talk about No Nukes, uh, No Nukes release. And it was actually, it was actually his first show, so he has a lot of very clear memories of the night, and uh, I think people will enjoy hearing uh, hearing his stories and his experiences. Yeah, I, I think they will, and it's great to have Ken on the show. I'm a follower from The Athletic and, of course, through the Fox MLB coverage. We won't talk too much about the lockout because hopefully that's going to be resolved. <laughs> and this is this is not a baseball podcast. That's true. Although, <laughs> it's a you know, podcast. We, we could move into that direction. I think there are a lot of baseball podcasts out there, and uh, you know we 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 have our topic, and we'll yes. we'll stick we'll we'll stay in our lane to use the common vernacular. Of the All right, day. we'll stick with Mr. Springsteen. <laughs> and in that regard, let's move on to the archive release, uh, CW Post, December twelfth, nineteen seventy five. And you had predicted perhaps that CW Post would be the release. And well, we uh, go ahead. Well, we we were due for a Born to Run show, and we've been. We've been guessing that the holiday release was going to be this show eventually, as it is the show from which the the single version of Santa Claus that gets played on the radio every year is from. So, you know, a broken uh, broken clock is going to be right at some point. Now, I have an admission to make, and and we did discuss this off the air. I was looking for something a little bit more recent. You had also mentioned the Cleveland Born to Run show from the Working on a Dream tour, and. I was really hoping we'd maybe get that back in your arms. That's still a possibility at some point, I would think, in the future. But we'd had a, a several classic era shows recently. Of course, the No Nukes, which we're going to be discussing with Ken. And we also had the Coliseum, 122880. And, and I thought maybe they would just go for a little variety to something more recent. And as we've discussed before, a lot of these classic era shows, the set lists are very similar and I was just looking for something maybe a little bit different. And, uh, and man, <laughs> that was a wrong thing to think because <laughs> now that we have this one in our hands and this is a show that was pretty fresh to me, I don't recall ever listening to it straight through. W- was there a decent bootleg of this show? There was a decent bootleg. Yes. A um, couple of guys uh, did a lot of taping in the, in the tri-state area back in the, in the mid seventies. And, and I think one, at least one, if not both of them, got this show and so it's it's been around a bit not one of the better ones not one of their better ones from the era but it certainly has been around well the archive is a revelation i I was knocked out how good this show is we've heard the hammersmith we've of course heard the roxy from seven both hammersmith you are correct and then we've heard the roxy and we have the tower theater this one to me it tops them all and I know that's a big statement to make, especially in regard to the second Hammersmith show. Eric made a really good point. Our buddy Eric Flanagan, who writes the release notes for Nugs, 
he pointed out that at both the Roxy and especially at the second Hammersmith show, because we know that Bruce was extremely unhappy with the first Hammersmith show, that those were shows really where he he was looking to prove himself. The Roxy was played before somewhat of an industry audience, and it was in L.A. This is a show in the heart of his territory on Long Island. As Ken is going to discuss, who grew up on Long Island, I grew up on Long Island. Bruce was big from the word go, and of course it was close to Jersey, close to Manhattan. You had that audience there, and, and as Eric points out, this is really a show for the diehards and not only today, but I, I, I think even at the time and man, as I said, it's a revelation. It is a, a tremendous recording, a, tr- a tremendous show. It's interesting. You say that about for the diehards. He, to me, Bruce is just more relaxed at this show. I, the, the set list is pretty much, I think with like two exceptions is, is very, is, is the same as, as that first Hammersmith show they released as part of the born to run box. And but he is just so relaxed in front of, in front of a uh, basically as you said a, a home crowd, and he and it, it 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 shows in the performance. There's no you can't hear any nervousness. He's he's there. He's interacting with the crowd. He's jumping in. He's you know playing songs for the girls at Roy Rogers. It's just yeah, it's just fun. It just crackles from the first moment. Uh- Thunder Road, and 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 then you do go through a run of songs, as you point out. Certainly, <laughs> were played regularly in that era, and then there's a moment that Eric describes, and because Max has spoken about it, Max was once asked, "Have you ever been on stage with Bruce where he just started playing a song that the band had never played before?" And he actually answered, "Yeah, there was a show in 1975, the first time we played It's My Life." That happened. We had no idea. We had never rehearsed it. And that is the show. And hearing that moment, you do definitely get that the band is tentative and and feeling its way into the song. But this is a magical moment. One of the best moments I think that the Archive series has captured it seems like the story is true. You would you would agree it's it, the story is likely true, right? Most likely, yes. Now, this is, of course, a song that they did go on to play regularly in the couple of years that would follow. I think you can make the argument this is the best version of the song that we've ever heard. Well, it's certainly the most fresh. And I and I think some of the later versions in 76 and and early 77, where he talks about his dad, they kind of they add some emotional heft. But I think without it, it's a little bit more streamlined. And it just comes across as a little bit tighter in, in that respect. And as Eric said, you know, they were a little tentative at first, and you said it, a little tentative at first, but then they really sink their teeth into it about halfway through the song, and they really, they own it from that from that moment on. Yeah, it's, as I said, it's, it's a magical moment. And from there, the show just really takes off. It, it's like the band itself got fired up. There, there are versions here. It's followed by Hard to Be a Saint in the City. And and that is like, <laughs> I, I, I know I used this with the No Nukes where I said it was like he was shot out of a can. And this is like, it's like jet propulsion. <laughs> well, I, I think I think the guitar duel between Steve and Bruce at the end is just is just fantastic. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, is, Steve is fantastic all over the show, period. Um, adding a little bit, adding some flares and 
a really he's on at this show and he's it's right in your right in your right headphone in the right channel and it's he adds so much i also thought the kiddies back the oh, yeah. the extended instrumental was it, it was fantastic and and it definitely had some moments in it that i don't recall certainly not from later versions but even in 75 i think there were some unique instrumental parts that they mm-hmm. went into and 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 they were jamming it went on for like 18 minutes uh, just <laughs> a, an amazing listen well yeah and i think that danny is just grooving just grooving throughout the, throughout the song and there's a there's i think the instrumental section goes on for like 10 minutes i mean yeah. there's no bruce vocals for 10 minutes how when does that happen in was i had an east street show and or at any bruce show and but he and uh but Danny and Roy's in there and Clarence. I mean, they're all just playing so fantastically well on this one. They they really reached a, some kind of groove in there that I don't remember hearing. And 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 I'm not a big Kitty's Back fan either. So for me to to really want to listen to this one repeatedly is, is actually makes it a pretty notable version. And that was followed by Jungle Land, which always has just tremendous force. And in later years, there, 81, 84, Bruce would stand on the piano and thrust his fist in the air. And it was just this amazing scene in the arena. I don't recall hearing an early version of Jungle Land that, that had this level of power. Do you? Well, it's one of these things where I think just about all of them had it. It's just that this recording is so good that it's just so obvious. There's no, it's not lost anywhere between the, the performance or the speakers and the uh, and 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 your ears. It's with those audience recordings. They're they're great in a lot of ways, but they don't always capture the the true force of of this song. And there's something at the end what, during the whales. Did you hear it? I, I'm pretty well, sure it's there. Bruce yells, "Stop! Stop!" I, at first, I couldn't tell if something was happening in the audience, but it appears to be part of the performance. I don't think it it's relating to anything going on in the crowd. Uh, that's a good question. You, you mentioned this to me uh, the other day, and and so then when I was listening to it, I'm like, yeah, there there it is, and I have no idea what it's there and what he was doing or what he was trying to say. But to be honest, I haven't gone back and listened to other versions, other performances of the song from December or or November recently. So I don't know if that's a one off or that's was something he was doing or 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 as you said, something was going on in the crowd. Of course, the encores were were top notch at this show and highlighted by the Santa Claus, which was released. How long ago was it released? It must be almost 40 years ago now. Well, it was released shortly after the show originally to the radio, right? Yes. In the in the Backstreet's piece on the show, the Mike Appel said that the reason they recorded this show was to get Santa Claus out there as, as soon as possible. And and they did. So I guess they had a version or they sent out a tape out to radio uh, within days of the show, and that's how it started. But then it was originally, it was first released commercially on In Harmony Two, I believe, right, which came right. out that's in eighty or eighty one. And then, of course, it was the B side to My Hometown. Exactly, so, and it's played every year. <laughs> it really interesting to hear the complete version in the context of the show. As Eric noted, the band responses are mixed a little bit higher here. So when Bruce says. Uh, it's Christmas, you know, they, they're all, you hear them more, you hear Clarence. Uh, Steve. You hear Steve, yes. And it's it's just fun to have. And 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 the rest of the show, the other song that really stood out to me was Shalala. That's a song, and I know it's been released previously in the archive series. I, I don't know, I guess by the time I got to the end of the show, I was just sort of so stunned by how <laughs> great it was. 
it, that one really registered on me too. All right. Well, I want to go back to Santa really quick. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like the um, the version that at least has been played on radio every year for the last forty some odd years is a little bit edited. I think some of the Bruce band interplay was was removed from from the from that version. So you get there's actually some extra material in there. Oh, that makes sense, and and you would understand that it would be edited for radio. So of course, uh, great and, to have it complete here. And I think it's a great Detroit medley here with the way that they kind of break it all down and starting with uh with just him and then he brings in brings in roy brings in uh brings in max and the way they kind of build it up and i love it when they when they do that and that was they did that on the performance of carol from the roxy that was released a couple years ago and it's a love here hearing it again here this is just a top notch listen from beginning to end the quarter to three is smoking hot (laughs) and let's also talk about the sound because when I first put it on and I did immediately compare it to the second Hammersmith, which I believe was the last born to run show released in the archive series. Correct. Yes. This one sounds significantly better to me. I I don't know why it, this, the sound on this is crystal clear. The separation to the instruments. And as you noted to the voices, I'm not sure why that would be the case, but it, this is it's as certainly as good a sounding show as we've heard, with the exception of maybe the clear mountain mix from <laughs> Passaic. Right. Oh, the sound quality is absolutely amazing to me. The instrument separation is so perfect. Hearing Danny so clearly in the left channel and Clarence, you just a little bit more towards the center from Danny, and then hearing Steve in the right, they've the balance was just perfect, and I. I I don't compare compare the releases that way. I, I I focus on each release as it comes out, and unfortunately or sadly, I, I don't I don't revisit a lot of them to be honest. But this one, yeah, the sound quality, <laughs> it's amazing. I had actually listened to the second Hammersmith show quite a bit because that really also is a spectacular show, and, and I, I can say for sure this one is going to get repeat listenings for me because it, it, it's just that good. I, I, this will probably be my go-to 75 show. All right. That sounds, sounds good. I mean, right now I'm, I'm loving it. Listen to it twice while exercising and driving in the car. And it's going to stay there for another, another few weeks. Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz from Number the Brave. And I want to tell you about our exciting new sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid is a service for musicians that put your music into online stores and streaming services like Spotify. You keep 100% of your royalties. The DistroKid app is packed with features. You can check your streaming stats from Apple and Spotify, upload lyrics and song credits. You can also get notified via push notifications when you've earned royalties. With Mixia, a powerful tool for those without access to professional mastering engineers, users can put the finishing touches on their track in minutes. There's a simple interface that is easy to use even if you're a novice creator. It's only $99 for a year with unlimited mastered tracks. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely. Send tracks to collaborators, booking agents, and anyone else you want to hear your work. Your music will stream at the highest quality so you can make a great impression. And the artwork files look great too. So check out DistroKid through None But The Brave's special link and receive 30% off your first year. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Once again, 
distrokid.com slash VIP slash MBTV. Thank you. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. All right, so from one classic show, this one in 1975, now we're going to go to No Nukes. And with that, Flynn, would you like to introduce our guest? Our guest tonight uh, is Ken Rosenthal, a, a two-time Sports Emmy Award winner, and he's a reporter and insider for Fox Sports Major League Baseball coverage, and he's senior baseball writer for The Athletic. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Oh, Great thank you so much. to talk about. <laughs> this is very exciting for us. Yes, we're, too, uh, we're <laughs> good. Well, we're still riding the wave of no nukes. And um, you're, I mean, you're a big Bruce fan. I, I remember I met you in 99 at, at the Meadowlands and outside, I think, D.C. And, and on the Magic Tour. And turns out no nukes was, was your very first show. It was. And it's still very memorable to me. I was just turning 17 years old. I just turned 17 the week before. And it was a situation where I grew up on Long Island, North Shore Long Island, Oyster Bay High School. And if I recall right, the tickets were something like $35, which at the time was an exorbitant amount. And <laughs> in my high school, it was a Grateful Dead high school. I, I mean, my high school was all deadheads. I was the one guy like Bruce. And I had a hard time finding people to go with me. So really? I, I had three tickets. Yeah, I finally ended up with two guys that were not my best friends, more like acquaintances. And we all went together. We took a while and railroad in. And the other thing I remember just getting the tickets, even then it was the craziness <laughs> that exists now, of course, much different. And I believe the No Nukes series had five shows, mm -hmm. only two of which Bruce was in. Bruce was in the last two. It was, I think, a Friday and Saturday night. The first one sold out, like, as always back then, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was. And then the second one, I was working in the city for actually the New York Cosmos soccer team. Oh, and wow. I was, working, I was working in their ticket office. It was like a summer job. Everybody in there was Bruce fan. All from New Jersey. These people were all, I don't know, 30s, early 30s. They all loved Bruce. And came on the radio that another show was going on sale uh, for Bruce headlining. And my boss money in my hands he knew how much i love bruce he said go down to the garden get some tickets for yourself and it was a few subway stops away i ran down there still ended up in the boondocks and it didn't <laughs> matter to me i had i knew of bruce quite well i know for a couple of years i've been a fan the year before on my birthday september 19th 1978 the legendary capital theater show i listened to it live on the radio in my bedroom so this was a big night and of course they announced that Bruce was only playing an hour and a half. There was none of this three, three and a half hour stuff. He was the end of the show. There were all these acts before Tom Petty, Chaka Khan, Jackson Brown, Carly Simon and James Taylor. But I would say, I don't know, 80, 90 percent of the crowd was there to see Bruce. <laughs> that little, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe more. What was it like when you got there that night? This is your first show. It's And I grew up on Long Island. I went to Herrick's High School. 
it was a few years later, but I know the excitement the first time I stepped in the arena to see Bruce. What was it like now? You were finally getting to see Bruce and you had to wait because there was a lengthy bill before him. Great performers, but still, as many other people, that you were just geared up for Bruce. Well, remember back then, too, guys, there was no Internet. There were really very few bootlegs. There was no video. So. Obviously, he was a great live performer because I had heard that show on WNEW. But you knew of the legend, but it was word of mouth. I did not really get the chance to see him other than in person. So I had not seen him, but I knew it was going to be special and clearly turned out to be. Now, I wasn't aware necessarily that he hadn't played in a year. I don't even know that I was very tuned into the 78 tour. I didn't go. Um, so... Again, this was my first shot, and yeah, the buildup was incredible and made more incredible by the fact you had to sit there and wait, enjoy the other acts, but it was all a prelude. Okay, so you were there on the second night. Were you aware that the next day was, was his birthday? I was aware because during the show he talked about it, that I was that big a fan to know that it was his birthday then. So it was kind of cool because my birthday is three days before that. <laughs> I had just celebrated my 17th birthday, and here he was turning 30, which to me did seem old. He joked about it all during the show. I'm a freaking old man now, you know. So, and later, Flynn, I think we were both at this show 20 years later on his 50th birthday, Philadelphia Spectrum. Yeah, happened to be at that show too. The oh wow, shows are always special. Yeah, so I, was, I unfortunately missed that one. Were you were you there for at the MetLife Stadium when he turned whatever it was, or? Was that too, too smack in the middle of baseball, at, at the baseball uh, playoff run? I believe it was too smack in the middle of the baseball playoff run. I saw one of the great long shows at MetLife in 16, I think, right at the end okay. of August. Okay. It was amazing, but not the birthday show. Okay. Well, you, you seem to have, you had a good run with birthday shows. So I, I had to ask that. Yeah. I, had, I had to see if you were continuing that, that run there. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, clearly, he has some kind of special feel on his birthday there's something special listen there's always something special <laughs> that's true. every one of them but the birthday there's an added element so yeah that was part of it no doubt that's true what do you remember from from the actual show itself once once things got rolling i remember vividly the first three songs were from darkness and again at that time darkness was the most recent album so that was something i remember i remember the river being a new song i remember quarter to three I actually have very vivid memories of all this. And I also home that night on the train. And guys, I don't need to tell you, I don't need to tell anybody listening. It's just electrifying. And I was electrified. I don't know that I slept a whole night. <laughs> and I don't know that it's being too dramatic to say it changed my life because it opened my eyes to a whole nother way of music and live performance. And it was just a thrilling thing. I couldn't believe it. Now, what's interesting to me all these years later is those shows are considered legendary or at least called legendary in the packaging. Right. My understanding as a fan was that the 78 shows were more legendary. I saw some shows that I thought were legendary. I didn't know that these shows were considered in that way. But my gosh, you look at the film now, you watch it, and it's, as you guys said in your previous podcast, it's like he was shot out of a cannon. That is a great <laughs> description. And because I think 
it was abbreviated compared to the usual show. There was maybe a heightened level of energy. And of course they hadn't played in a while too. That was all part of it. And also I remember later the movie came out and I made my dad drag me into Manhattan. It was playing like one theater. Oh really? That was it? Yeah, I don't remember being. Yeah, that's not something that would have gotten a wide release. Yeah. Okay. All right. Movie with Thunder Road, Quarter Three, and the River, not in that order. That was (laughs) something to see too. It was unbelievable, and my dad would tease me, tease me. He goes, "This guy, he's a cult. He's a cult following." And back (laughs) then, it sort of was, but yeah, today, five years, the biggest act in the world. So. I would joke back with my dad, uh, is it still a cult? You think it's still a cult? Is it in the 80,000 seat stadium? So, but back then, yeah, it was kind of, I don't know, not a secret. And certainly he was big in this area, but it, it wasn't like what it became, obviously. Right. Okay. Well, you should have grown up a few years later when, when I would tell my parents I was going down to the Pony. I was, I was... I was underage the first time I went to the Pony. I was with my buddy Roger, and we would go down there. My parents were like, you're going down to the Jersey Shore and staying out till 2 o'clock <laughs> in the morning, and this guy's not going to show up and, and, and all that stuff. And one night he did show up, and it was, it was pretty damn good. I'm sure it was, man. <laughs> well, if you had said you took the Long Island Railroad in. So the show, the show didn't end until like 1.15, right? Yeah. And so, and- so what time did you get home? Like 3. <laughs> were running. I remember that it was not a problem. Now, I don't remember who picked me up. I, some parent had to pick me up. I wasn't <laughs> driving back then. I don't recall how that all went down. Maybe I took it. My parents were split. My dad lived in Queens. Maybe I went to Queens. But I don't remember that. But yeah, it was late. But I, again, I remember sitting on that train and it was like my eyes were popping out of my head. It, it was just the craziest feeling because you just witnessed something. It, it was everything you wanted rock to be in my view. And I liked the other bands. I liked some of the other bands on the no nukes bill. In fact, I had gone to one of the previous shows, but it, it wasn't the same. And it's never been the same, right? It, Bruce is one. He's here. Everyone else is there. There are other great acts. Pearl jam. I love fighters. Love I, a lot of great live bands, but come on. There's only one. Right. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We agree. We agree. <laughs> agree. So, so what was it like now? You're in the arena and he counts down at the prove it all night. And it's, it seems like you have a very good memory of it. What do you remember in that just first electrifying moment? Well, just that here it was. And I finally was seeing him and it seemed like an eternity to me to wait, not just for the show to begin, but just to see him in general, because I had been a fan for some time at that point. Now, also, I remember time, but maybe this kind of thing still happens, but there was a guy behind me. He was overly intoxicated. He puked on my friend's jacket. That was the whole thing. It was just, you know, it was a concert in the 70s, man. Stuff happened. (laughs) And the other thing that I remember vividly is the crowd. And I had been to concerts, and obviously, concert scene is always exciting. But this was a level of excitement unlike anything I had seen. And by quarter to three, if not at times before, it was bedlam in there. And the film kind of captures it. You can kind of see it. But I had never experienced anything like that. And with quarter to three, this was true. And of course, subsequent shows as well. You got the feeling this was never going to end. <laughs> and I loved it. I, was, I didn't want it to end. And it was just, it's one in the morning. The place is going crazy. And 
it was just a unique scene, no doubt. All right. Now, you, you had mentioned you saw you had seen another show, another uh, no nuke show that week. Was it just dead? I mean, what was the what was the difference? Could, could you really feel the difference in the crowd anticipation? Yes, it's a, there's a Bruce crowd and there was other crowd. And I remember seeing in the movie, the No Nukes movie, the first No Nukes movie, the okay. original, Chaka Khan was crying because she thought they were booing her. And actually, well, they were just calling for Bruce, you know, Bruce Chance. And the rest of it, the other show, I think it was Doobie Brothers headline. I can't recall exactly. But Jackson Brown and guys like that, they weren't electrifying performers. They were good performers and they were quite enjoyable to see, but it wasn't the same. And Tom Petty wasn't Tom Petty then. He was getting there, but he wasn't at the level that he became. So it was a total difference in what we saw from Bruce and the excitement level than anybody else. Okay. All right. Tom that also makes, had makes the immortal line when he was like, they're booing me and they're like, Tom, they're bruising and he he said, what's the difference? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good line. That is true. That is true. Now, you said, you mentioned the river. Uh, it was a new song. Uh, you saw, I guess, if you were there the second night, you saw the second ever live performance of it. Do you remember your reaction to, to, to that song in particular? I just thought it was good. I don't remember having any strong reaction. And Obviously, I think for most fans, that's right up there, that song. We all have our own rankings and all of that, but that that's a big song. And we all know what it meant in the transition of him as a songwriter. But I don't know that at 17 years old, I was sophisticated enough to really get it. I just liked it. That was all I think I remember there. Okay. All right. Yeah. I wish I was more sophisticated, but I wasn't. I don't well, know. Yeah. I was at 17 now. on Long Island. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. So much not, not even like we were city kids. <laughs> right, that's true. So when you when the movie came out, uh, I guess it's about a month, month and a half ago now. Did it ma- did it match? Did it measure up to your memories? Did it exceed it? What how what was your your feelings while you watched the film? Measured up, if not exceeded. And I have three kids. They're 30, 29, just turned 29, and 26, just about 26. And I've seen Bruce with two of the three, and the third has seen Bruce on her own. And what has always bugged me a little bit is that as great as Bruce is now and five years ago, 10 years ago, there was nothing like that Bruce, the 70s, late 70s Bruce, even mid-70s. And we all know the Darkness Tour is considered the tour. And this show, what the one we're talking about, these two shows were right at the apex as well. So my kids had never seen that guy. Now, I would show them from the No Nukes movie on YouTube and all that, but it always bothered me. Like, my son in particular, my son is 30. He's a huge rock fan. Jack White's his guy. And we went to see Bruce in the Spectrum another time, not the one we were talking about earlier, Flynn. And we were on the floor, and my son turns to me and goes, Dad, there's a bunch of old people here. I (laughs) I said, you're not wrong. You're about to see something you won't believe. And it's true. It was great. A great typical Bruce show, but energy is beyond what I remember. I mean, the, it, like the guy's on a pogo stick or something, and that it probably exceeded my memory of it. I remember being quite electric and all of that, but watching it now, it's like, whoa, that was something else. <laughs> all right. Yeah, they really did a good job of capturing it, and some of the, as we were saying, some of the little 
issues with the film actually sort of bring that out because they had camera people down in the crowd where they couldn't really operate properly, but they so captured the crowd experience and what it was like to be there right in front of Bruce as he was playing like that on the cusp of his 30th birthday. It's really a remarkable thing to see. And, you know, I didn't experience Bruce until a couple of years later. Now on the born USA tour, he was still, uh, it, it was, it was big, but it was not the same as the darkness of the river tour. I know that. I remember the born in the USA tour as well. And giant stadium, I had tickets for multiple shows and, the last of those shows, I didn't go because to me, it had become a little bit more choreographed and predictable, and it wasn't what I had remembered. Now, I'm not saying it was bad. It was still better than any other rock show, but it wasn't a show you needed to see three times in six nights. Right. So, again, those shows, the shows, the 78 tour, which we've seen now, we've seen different versions of that tour on video and through releases, audio-wise, it was a different level and the other thing guys i don't know if you agree with me but when we hear thunder road now in concert or in the last tour it's more a celebration of our memories of thunder road and it's played a little slower than it was used to than he used to play it back then there was so much urgency with the way he performed each song but thunder road was the one that stuck out to me stuck out to me he had this urgency to him and that was different. That was really special. And I don't want to say it's been lost. It's just different now. It's still great. But that, again, distinguished that era from what came after that. Well, that reality is that that was all he had. The, the, yeah. He was playing for his life every night on stage. And certainly, thankfully for him, he, he doesn't do that anymore. He has... right. A wife, and he has a family, and he has a million things going on. And $500 million. (laughs) Yes, $500 million. (laughs) And he had plenty already before that. So, you know, you can't capture that. And he he has, of course, spoken about this very eloquently, especially in the book. He, He... his mind that was his life was consumed by it. And it was great for the fans. And and they did capture it here, as you know, because it it really is a singular thing. You could say maybe Mick Jagger, obviously the Beatles at their peak, but they never performed live like that. It just wasn't something they did in the sixties. And uh, he, it really is unique and it's, it's great that they captured it and were able to see it now. Absolutely. And it's funny guys, when we, post this podcast i'll be happy to tweet out the link or whatever oh, thank you and thank you. among baseball writers of a certain age <laughs> and a little bit younger bruce is the guy the younger baseball writers think it's hysterical they think we're a joke you know he's grandpa or whatever but well they like what they like and they respect bruce but it's they, they don't they make fun of us they can make fun of whatever they want All they have to do is turn this film on and they'll see what we're talking about why we all we're so captivated and are so captivated by this guy. It's clear as freaking day. And I just always like getting into a banter with these guys and women. Oh, Bruce this, Bruce that. I'm like, okay, whatever. Take your Japan droids and they're great and whatever. <laughs> but uh, we know, we know better. All right, well, let me, I want to ask one more question. Um, obviously, you've, um, you saw him in 80 on the USA tour. Now, what about a, a year later after No Nukes? He's, he, he did four nights at the Garden. He did three nights at Nassau Coliseum. I assume you attended some of those shows. 
I did attend shows on the tour, and the first was at the Garden right after Thanksgiving. It might have been the Friday night after Thanksgiving. Sat right behind the stage, and that was the first the first full show I saw. That was okay. amazing. And I remember too back then <laughs> the tickets in a lottery. And I was at the University of Pennsylvania my freshman year, and they came in the mail in this little envelope. And that's how I found out I was going to the show. It's, like, it's not like now. The Coliseum, the end of the year, I don't remember exactly which show it was. It wasn't New Year's Eve, but it was one of the other ones. Didn't have tickets. Went with a friend of mine from school, hit the parking lot, thought we'd just do our best, see what we can get. And I remember we paid 35 We thought we were freaking broke forever. <laughs> and actually, at that point, we were. But it was it was great. It was it was a great show. So how did those measure up or how did they compare to no nukes besides the fact that it was, you know, over twice as long? Similar type feeling. Now, the only difference is the first one was novel. I I had never seen him before. Yeah. So but the garden, the garden was always special um, back then, especially. And it turns out those Coliseum shows now are quite legendary in their own right. And quite popular among collectors. The Coliseum was not the garden. Trust me, and how was this? It was not the good. Yeah. So, at the same time, those were very memorable shows. Santa Claus obviously was a difference than you hadn't seen before. And I remember showing the garden, the first of those two that I saw, sang Sandy sitting on the edge of the stage. And he, I, he had the lyrics in his hand, I believe. Oh, wow. And I did not know that. It was, it was pretty cool. And I remember also Jungle Land, and this I had never seen anything like this before. He kind of led the crowd, and everybody was pumping their fists. Right. The solo of Clarence. And obviously, all of these things were a big part of being a fan and enjoying the shows. So, and Ken, what about later on? You mentioned going in 2016 with one of your kids, and we know, obviously, you're quite busy normally during baseball season. Ha- have you been able to go to a bunch of shows during the reunion hour? I don't exactly recall. It's probably been one show, two shows of tour. It's not like Flynn, okay? <laughs> or half. But I got in one funny one was Amnesty International in Philadelphia. Oh, I was there. Okay, that was a great one. And I was with my soon to be wife and I don't know if we were engaged or dating, but she was there with one of her best friends. I was there with one of my best friends. And I had never been to a Bruce show with her. And after the show, her friend said, are you going to marry that guy? (laughs) (laughs) And we've been married 32 years, and she's been to a number of shows with me as well. And that was a funny memory. But I've been, I don't don't have a count in my head. I don't remember exactly how many. My guess would be something like 50, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. Oh, that's a lot. That's that's respectable. Yeah. It, it is funny how you were saying so many of the baseball writers are Springsteen fans. Pete Abraham, who we've known for yes. years. And have, have, have you and Pete, like, have you seen a show together? Maybe with even with Dave Shinen? I have seen a show with Shinen. Okay. Uh, that's a unique experience. David Hill, Shinen, and I went to a show. Was it Philly? Yeah, Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah, I remember seeing, I, I met, I saw David, um, David and, and both of them, actually. I didn't see you after one, one of those shows, yeah. We were up close, really close. And Dave is a musician himself and a really good one. Songwriter, he plays, he releases albums. It's crazy to me. And he listens in a different way at a show. He kind of has his head cocked, and he's really listening intently, like in a, in a different way than the average fan. And I remember at that point, I think he was starting to get sick of it. 
Bruce, I don't know why. I can't remember exactly the reason, but <laughs> he was like over it. And he has very eclectic taste. Great guy. One of the great guys ever. But he's the only one I think I've seen a show with. And David Hill, of course. Of course. Our mutual, Our mutual friend. friend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been this has been a real thrill for us. And you know, yeah, we hope we hope you had a good time. Oh, guys, total thrill for me. Believe me. Oh. I, I do my own podcast. It's baseball. That's my job. But this is my passion. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I enjoy listening to you guys. All the best, man. We well, thank you that. very much. And, and we just want to plug The Athletic. I'm a subscriber. The Athletic is unparalleled for sports coverage. And, of course, everyone knows you're also on Fox Sports MLB coverage. And we look forward to hopefully being some coverage this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll Hope to see you at a stadium. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you. Once again, that was Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports and The Athletic. <laughs> Real treat for us to have him on. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we we did not spend 15 or 20 minutes talking baseball on the air because <laughs> this is not a baseball podcast. But we would have loved to have spoken to him. Well, I could talk to Ken, and I know Flynn could too, about baseball for several hours. But <laughs> we stuck to Bruce. <laughs> that is true. But it was great to hear his, his, the memories of being – being 17 and here and seeing Bruce for the first time, especially at such a unique event. And obviously through the magic of, uh, of, of that great legendary no nukes release, uh, we all can, we all can see what he saw. And we're going to have some more people who were lucky enough to witness the no nuke shows coming up in future episodes. So stay tuned for that. Yes, that's going to be fun. We always like to hear color from people who are actually there. Uh, it's one thing to experience it over recording or even, even as seeing in a film, but, to hear people who are actually there talk about it just brings brings it more to life. And, and perhaps a very special guest who was there. I, I believe you have <laughs> someone very close to you. Yes, my lovely wife. It was her first show. So we'll see so, if we uh, can coax her on the show. I think we can do that. Now that we come to the end of the show, we've also come to the end of the year 2021. And we do want to take the time to wish everyone a very healthy and happy new year. Wishing you lots of joy, love, and success in 2022 when hopefully the the world is going to be a better place than it was in 2020 and 2021. And here's to a, here's to a Springsteen tour in 2022. I hope and, they can make that work. And if that can't happen, then let's have tracks too. Or both. I'm, I'm going to go for both. How about that? <laughs> well, both would be great. How many episodes are we going to do when Tracks 2 comes out? How many discs are there going to be? And that's the number of episodes we're going to do on it. <laughs> Considering we once did hear that it could be 10 discs, that would be a lot of episodes. But hey, well, it would I be fun. In the case of 10 discs, then maybe we'll do uh, two two or three discs per episode. And still, it's it should be a lot to discuss. And I hope it happens this year. Finally. Fourth year is the charm, right? Yes. So, And with that, let's go to the end and our usual spiel. None But the Brave is a presentation of Bull Market Entertainment and a part of Evergreen Podcasts. If you wish to reach out to us, find us on Twitter at NBTB Podcast or on the web at nonebutthebravepodcast.com. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean and saying thanks to Ken Rosenthal for joining us tonight and thanks to David Hill for the hookup. And uh, we'll see you further on up the road in 2022. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. 
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.